Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me a fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They, have plant, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. This is God's word. Amen. Shall we just pray before we move in? Father God, uh, we thank you for the gift of your word, uh, the gift of your word that is uh, alive, it is active, it is sharper than a double-edged sword, it is full of life. This is where we get to drink deep of you. This is where we get to feast on the abundance of your house. So we come here. We come here in a posture of surrender, knowing that you will satisfy our hearts this morning. We come here knowing that only, only you can satisfy. Speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've titled the talk, um, Learning to Rest. Um, I'll tell you why as we move on in the talk. And these are the three things that we're going to be looking at this morning. The first thing is our inability to rest from work. Yeah? Second thing, how God's work brings rest to our work. And the third thing is learning to rest. Yeah, first thing, our inability to rest from work, how God's bring, how God's work brings rest to our work, and just learning to rest. I know it's not just me when I say our attempts at rest are always so unsatisfying. Right, the weekend flies by in a millisecond, and we're probably even more tired going into work on a Monday. The vacation we so look forward to flies by like that and we are dreading going back to work. All those plethora of emails that you will need to go through, take off. And that ruins probably the second half of the vacation. And if you are like me, even the first half. Right? In our everyday lives, the moment we get an oasis of free time, by the time we decide what to do, it's over. 
it's time to do the next thing. So what do we end up doing? We just mindlessly scroll through reels on Instagram just to fill that void in between. All our attempts to rest from work are so unsatisfying that sometimes it feels even pointless to even try. So what do we end up doing? We end up taking our work into our resting. Try and finish off some work on the weekend. Try and get a head start to the next week on Sunday. Right? Work a little on the vacation so that we are not piled with stuff when we come back. Sounds relatable? Any vacation we take will end at some point, right? Work won't. So why not just get a little bit done to be on top of things? Resting from work in a hustle culture like ours seems like an impossible dream. The psalm we're looking at today, I believe, has something to say to us. The psalm is titled, It's the Song for the Sabbath. This is the only song in the Bible that is written for the Sabbath day. If this is your first time in um, a church, what is, if you're wondering what this word Sabbath means, Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word that simply means to cease or to stop working. The Sabbath day was a day of rest. It was instituted by God for his people to work six days and rest on the seventh day. It was, it was not, they were just not called to rest, they were commanded to rest. And this psalm was written for that day. So this is, this is technically a psalm for the day of rest. Yeah? Let's look at how the psalmist is actually starting off this song. First he says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. He's starting his song about resting from his work, Sabbath, with thanksgiving and praise to God. And he gives a reason for this. He says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hand, I sing for joy. What is the works that the psalmist is talking about, what is he rejoicing in? It's actually beautiful. We see those works when God himself gives them the command to rest. Look at in, in uh, Exodus chapter 20 verses 11. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He's rejoicing in God's work of creation. And the command to rest flows from that. God worked and he rested. Therefore, you work and rest. The second thing, when they receive the command to rest, is we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 15. It's God's work of salvation. You shall remember God's chosen nation was enslaved by Egypt 
So then he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So this command to rest actually flows from God's work, God's work of creation, God's work of salvation. And then the psalmist is rejoicing in his work on his rest day. So when God introduced the concept of rest, it was not just for the people to rest from their work. It was so that they can rejoice and rest in his work. True rest is is found not just in resting from our work, but in rejoicing and resting in God's work. Apart from rejoicing and resting in God's work, we can never truly rest, my friends. And any attempt at at resting is going to leave us thoroughly unsatisfied. We will end up putting the insurmountable weight of our longing for rest upon a weekend. It's like placing a huge boulder on a paper and asking it to take the weight of it. We will put that burden on a weekend or a vacation and it will leave us thoroughly unsatisfied and must I say from experience, even more exhausted and tired when you go back into work. Friends, why is it important and necessary for us to rest and rejoice in God's work? How does His work bring rest to our work? Now, in this psalm, the psalmist is helping us see a very specific aspect of God's work that brings rest to our work. Let's, let's look at the passage. Verses 7, 8. He says, that Though the wicked sprout like grass and the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. And then he says in verses 10 and 12, But you have exalted my horn like that of the old ox, and you have poured over me fresh oil. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. What is happening here? The psalmist is talking about human flourishing. First he says, the evildoers and the wicked flourish. And then he says, the righteous also flourish. But bang in the middle of that, Structurally, in the center of the psalm, he leaves one powerful truth about God's work. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. He is sovereign and he is on the throne. You know, many Bible commentators say this verse is like the central crux of this psalm. It is structurally also in the middle But even in the meaning-wise, this is what defines this psalm. It just has one powerful truth. And the truth is, God is sovereign over human flourishing. 
Now, why must this bring rest to our work? What does his work of being sovereign, how does it bring rest to our work? It must bring rest to us on three counts. Let's look at them quickly. The first thing, the first thing, we do not cause our own flourishing. It is God who brings flourishing. You know, we might work the hardest, we might have the best of resources in our hands, but God is the one who brings flourishing and fruit. He divinely, he divinely orchestrates the rise and fall of people. Not just his followers, but everyone on earth. Psalm 75, he says, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. We see the examples all through the Bible, right? God actually using and lifting up people who don't believe in him to establish his purposes. Both the wicked, which means people who don't know or are indifferent to him in this world, and the righteous who worship him and surrender to him, will be successful here on this earth. This is his common grace to everyone. He says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Friends, what does this mean for us? The constant pressure we feel in our hearts to manufacture our own success is off us. It is God who brings flourishing. We will never be able to rest if we bear the burden of causing our own flourishing. We will never be able to rest. Because the moment we find success, we will not be satisfied in that. In the world today, we are only as good as the last hit or the last sale you made or the last success at work and which is easily forgotten. And not just that, if we succeed once, the pressure and expectations just mount up, right? Forget from others, our own expectations from ourselves will increase. We definitely don't want to be a one-hit wonder, do we? This pressure will remove any chance of rest from our hearts, even when we succeed. Friends, I know this to be true. I struggle with this. The moment a sermon or a worship session goes well and someone says they were blessed, there's this unspoken pressure in my heart when I'm preparing for the next, oh, I need to top that. How do I top that? What if they come thinking, oh, it was good last time, this time? I feel that pressure is real. And if, it is, if this temptation is so strong, for someone who works as a pastor, I can imagine what it means, what it could look like for you, like successful artists, professionals, entrepreneurs, in living in a, in a culture like this. It's It's crazy. It's helpful to know we do not cause our own flourishing. 
we do not cause our own success it is the lord who causes flourishing friends something beautiful happens when this reality sets in your hearts we are freed to be faithful at work we will find joy in being faithful not successful because when we are faithful the lord is free to do as he wants he will bring success and he will as he pleases he is the lord most high not me that's the first way it's ought to bring rest to our souls the second way it will also help us rest when others flourish often times the thing that really causes unrest in our hearts and frustration at work it is when we see those who we perceive as less talented less hard working lazy or or inexperienced people compared to us enjoying more success than us yeah is that relatable this frustration in our hearts is a proof that we believe success should depend completely on our performance and who we are they don't deserve it i deserve it more than them friends if if success truly and fully 100% depended on our performance could you imagine how scary that would be we've all had moments when we were blessed with success when we you and i secretly in our hearts know we didn't deserve it we didn't work as hard for it in fact do we truly deserve the success that we see at work i know that we are all hard working people but you and i know our secret unfaithfulness at work sinfully cutting corners probably working on other personal things during work hours slacking off if all these were factored in to our performance do you really think you and i deserve the success that we see at work if god himself was our boss and he rated us purely on our faithfulness and our, on our performance he knows everything will we truly succeed at work will we will we will we truly experience the flourishing that we we want to experience at work thank god our success does not solely base is not based on our own performance in his grace god rewards our faithfulness and causes us to flourish despite our unfaithfulness god is sovereign over our flourishing this should bring rest to our souls the third way it should bring rest to our hearts it should help us desire the truth that god is sovereign over human flourishing it should help us desire the flourishing that brings rest in this passage we are seeing two kinds of people flourish as you've seen earlier the wicked the people who don't are indifferent to god who don't acknowledge him are solely after their own uh their own agendas and their own selfish flourishing they also flourish and the righteous also flourish those who put their faith and worship him but friends it is only one flourishing 
that truly lasts. When we see the wicked man's flourishing in verse 7, he says that though the wicked sprout up like grass, all the evildoers flourish, but they are doomed to destruction forever. The wicked see external flourishing. External flourishing takes away from them internally. A flourishing that constantly demands to take from them self-effort, self-striving, that leads to eventual perishing. Because as much as you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, at the end you're empty. You're hollow. You just need a small incident, small upset to break you and burst that pressure cooker that you're building on the inside. Jesus talks about this external flourishing. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? But look at how the psalmist says the righteous flourish. He says, but you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox and you have poured over me fresh oil. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon in the Bible are used as a context for strength, deep strength. The righteous in this broken world primarily experience internal soul flourishing here on this earth. Look at what's happening to the psalmist. The Lord himself is strengthening him. When he says, you you exalt my horn, it's a figure of speech for you. My strength comes from you. And the Lord himself is refreshing him. You, You pour fresh oil over me. The Lord is strengthening him and refreshing him. The soul of the psalmist is experiencing flourishing. The external flourishing that the psalmist is experiencing is flowing from his internal flourishing. But his soul is richly being restored, renewed and strengthened by God. And look at the result of this, friends, in verse 14. He says, the, the righteous who, are, who experience this, this flourishing, they, bear, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Full of life. What does this mean? The internal soul flourishing that, we are, that is ours in Christ, it is not hampered by age. There's no retirement age for this. For us to take an early retirement and try to strive everything in the first 40 years and then do nothing. No, there's, it's, it's constant giving. You bear fruit in your old age. The second thing, it is not hampered by death. This flourishing is going to go eternally. It says, ever full of sap and green. What is the truth of this verse? The highest success 
we can achieve here in this world is still the lowest in the world to come. The highest success that you can achieve in your career today, at the peak of your career, that success is still the lowest in the world to come. Friends, doesn't this make us want to stop striving in the here and now? Doesn't this shed light in our tunnel vision of instant success in the here and now that constantly demands you to be on the ball 24-7, demanding and completely emptying you from the inside? Doesn't this cause us to pause and rest in the one who causes us to eternally flourish, both internally and externally in Him. Friends, here's my question. What kind of flourishing do we desire more now? Is it the external flourishing of success in our careers that will constantly take away from us and impoverish our souls? Or is it the internal flourishing that will renew our strength refresh our souls on the inside and bear its fruit on the outside in our work and family. And Why is it important to answer this question? Because our resting is tied up to this. If we primarily desire and work towards external flourishing, then resting seems detrimental or at best optional. Why would I rest if that slows me down and puts another person ahead? But internal soul flourishing flows out of resting in God and His work. And the external flourishing is a byproduct. It's God who brings flourishing. Friends, let's be honest. At the end of the day, the heart of our problem is not that our is not just that our rest is unsatisfying or we are not being allowed to rest the heart of the problem is that we are incapable to rest the moment we're given some free time we don't know what to do with it we take work back into it unless we work from a place of resting in christ we will never be able to truly rest from work. Unless our work is flowing from a place of rest, we will never be able to rest from it. I know that, I know my soul desires this external flourishing much more. What's the hope for our sinful hearts that constantly strive after that flourishing and are unable to rest? What's the hope? How do we learn to rest and desire a flourishing that is rooted in Christ? Friends, because resting is not a natural response of the sinful souls, that is why Israel was commanded to rest. It was not a suggestion. God is not telling them, I think six days you work, 
I suggest the seventh day you take rest because it's, 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 I mean, you're going to burn out. No, it was not a suggestion. It was a command. And there was, there, it, was, it was law. It was part of the Ten Commandments. And there were repercussions if they didn't rest. You see that in Exodus chapter 31 verse 14. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Isn't that crazy? All I failed was to not rest. I mean, death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Sabbath was supposed, the day of rest was supposed to be kept holy to the Lord. The very Lord that the psalmist is worshipping. Sabbath in the Old Testament Rest in the Old Testament was a mere pointer to the rest that centuries later came in the form of the Lord himself. The very Lord on high that the psalmist is worshipping. Several centuries later, Jesus came onto this earth and you know what he declared? In Matthew chapter 12 verse 8, he says, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What does this mean? The Sabbath that the Israel was commanded to keep was merely a pointer to the rest that we have in Jesus. Look at what the beauty of Jesus is saying. He's he's saying, first of all, he's saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, which means I am the Lord of rest. And look at what he's saying. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, here's why there's hope for us. Jesus knows our inability to rest. He knows our sinful hearts cannot rest. And see what he says. I will give you rest. The rest he offers is given. It's not earned by our ability to live the perfect life of dependence in God and seeking the right flourishing and and constantly going after it again and again. No, the rest that Jesus offers is given. We need to receive it. Because we have failed and are failing and continue to fail so, the Lord of the Sabbath himself comes to give this rest. You know how he gives us this rest? Jesus, the Lord Most High, whom the psalmist is worshipping, who is sovereign over all human flourishing, he stepped down onto this earth as a human himself. He lived the righteous life that the psalmist is talking about. He lived the life of constant dependence in his father. He says in John chapter 5 verses 19 
truly, truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. Just look at that. God himself saying, he can do nothing by himself unless he sees the father doing it. For whatever the father does, the son does. He lived the absolute life of absolute resting in his father and all of his work, every single thing about his work flowed from it. Nothing flowed apart from it. This was our call, right? This is what we are supposed to do. He never sought a flourishing that came apart from the father. Do you know success was was handed to him on a platter by the devil in the wilderness. He said, if you just bow to me, all these kingdoms will be yours. Just take them. Why why do you need to go to the cross? He said, no. And not just the devil, friends. When Jesus did these amazing miracles, people wanted to come and make him king by force. Isn't that the power of democracy? I mean, Jesus would have peaked. All these people want me to be king. Let me just flow and declare my kingdom and just reign. No, what does he do? He withdraws, escapes that kind of flourishing. On the cross, he got the wicked man's due. When Jesus hung on the cross, just as the wicked man in this psalm is doomed to destruction on the cross, Jesus was punished with death on our behalf. It was as though he went after all that flourishing, all that external flourishing despite depending, without depending on his father. It was as though your striving and my striving that we experience in our own hearts which is, apart from the, which is apart from the Father, it was as though Jesus did all that and he was punished to death. The command that, is, that Israel got, if someone doesn't keep the Sabbath, put him to death, that curse, that punishment was on Jesus. Your lack and my lack of resting was put on Christ the son and you know what happened after that the good righteous flourishing that he deserved that that his righteous life earned is now gifted to you and I undeserving ungrateful souls and he says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This rest didn't come cheap. He gives us a rest because he was punished for our own lack of resting. Followers of Jesus, uh, do you find yourselves caught in the constant pressure to flourish and succeed externally much more than our desire to grow and flourish internally? 
You know, at New City, we strongly believe that we are a church for the city, that our careers need to flourish, and God desires for our careers to flourish, so we are a blessing to the city. So don't hear me wrong. I'm no way saying you shouldn't flourish in your career. In fact, you should. You should desire for it. But here's the thing. If you're going after just that, that flourishing is going to be momentary and you're going to experience the sad perishing that the wicked man was due. Friends, that, that is not our goal. So everything that we do here, be it the gospel application groups that we prayed for, the, the, the community Bible reading, the, 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 the seeing Jesus together journal that we do, the Sunday services, are all built and structured to facilitate a space where you can come and receive this rest from Jesus himself so your souls can flourish. That's our primary goal. Because only the external flourishing that flows from this is going to truly last for eternity. Would you, would you want to just press in closer, plug in deeper into all these avenues that we are creating for you to come and receive this rest that Jesus gives? If you're an explorer, this is probably the first time you're in a church or listening to listening about Jesus. Friends, there have been there are hundreds of things that tell us or give us brilliant tips on how to rest. You probably tried them. We've tried them. We found them to be unsatisfying. If you're in that place. The good news is that this rest is received. It's not earned. And Jesus offers the rest for your souls. Would you receive it? Allow me to just pray. Jesus, we... We come here longing. We come here knowing our own internal striving, our internal unrest. And we come here to receive. We've come here to fall on our feet and say, Lord, help my striving soul. Help our striving souls. Only you can satisfy. Give me. I am weary. We are weary. We are heavy laden. Give us rest. And when we look to the cross, we know that this rest is ours to enjoy forevermore. Thank you for taking the punishment for our lack of resting so that we can enjoy this rest despite going after that external flourishing and desiring it much more than internal flourishing, you give grace and you give rest so we worship you. Help us to enjoy this rest, Lord. Help us to work from, our, from a place of rest. 
in your name we pray jesus amen